Hello and welcome to The Dive, where we explore the nitty-gritty of creativity in South Carolina. I'm GP McLear, Executive Director of the South Carolina Arts Alliance. And today, uh, we're back after a long hiatus due to COVID-19. We're back with Creative Impact, our craft beer collaboration with Frothy Beard Brewery, and this year with the artist Alrenthia Carter, photographer out of Greenville. So uh, sit back, relax, we're going to talk about the impact of COVID on our worlds, uh, about the beer in, that we work together on, and just having a lot of fun. So sit back and enjoy. Carter, and I am a photographer, improviser, person that works at a university, and other hyphens. <laughs> um, I'm Stephen Colley. I am uh, the co-owner and co-founder of the Frothy Beer Brewing Company. Um, I also do all the packaging, and I am the distribution manager here at the brewery. I'm GP. I'm the executive director of the Arts Alliance. And in case it sounds muffled, it's because we're in a COVID-friendly space at Frothy Beer Brewery in Charleston. Uh, we all have our big fashion statement of the years, plural, I guess, at this point. Um, our little masks on. Um, this is to celebrate uh, Arts Advocacy Week in 2021. Uh, we're here again. Last year, uh, we started a great relationship with Frothy Beard, uh, and thanks to Steve for making that happen. Um, and Steve, I guess if you want to talk a little bit about what what creative impact is, because uh, last year it was a panel, this year it's an IPA, it's sort of like how you got, like, yeah, talk about what you do with it. <laughs> well, or at least um, for the last two years. <laughs> well, um, I think, you know, all in all, uh, creative impact has always been kind of supposed to be a spur of the moment kind of uh, creative type of outlet. Um, and for us, um, we sometimes like to do that just with like hops. So this is what kind of brought, last year we did a pale ale, this year we're doing an IPA. Um, we've done a couple of other different things. We upped the ABV. So last year I think it was like 5.6, this year it's 7.7. Um, we also changed, added something called Comet Hops, which is kind of like this, uh, kind of newer breed of hop gener generation. Um, so you can absolutely taste that in this beer, which is really fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of something that, that we've done so far. This is our second time doing this, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, for us, you know, the beer making process is always a, a creative outlet. outlet. Um, it's, 
just kind of. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to really say. Well, it's about a small it. batch too, right? And you always you, this is pretty usually a small batch. Well, usually meaning obviously we have a set of two data points. Yeah. Uh, but it's typically a smaller batch, a way for you guys to sort of play with something that you've got on the shelves that you're planning to get. Because last year you had these hops, you told me, kind of sitting around for the pale ale that kind of you were. This just seemed like a good project to kind of throw them at. Yeah, definitely. Something. It's it's sort of almost like an experimental brand, sort of. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that that that, that ideal that fits. Um, small batches all the time are always a means of, of being able to branch out and try new things and, and go a different direction. Um, and that's just another example of how we do it here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Al, I mean, you gave us, you know, the two titles. Uh, what else? So how long have you been shooting photography? Um, and what else do you do? Because you had a lot, you said there are a lot of hyphens. Yeah, so I've been a photographer uh, for about 20 years now, um, in shooting exclusively abandoned spaces, uh, probably for the last 15. So it took me a while to kind of narrow down what my focus was. I kept getting drawn back to, you know, creepier places, rather than doing portraits. Um, <laughs> and I still have trouble, you know, photographing things that, that move. Because, because I'm so used to, like, old buildings. And so uh, for a while I thought I'd be, like, a wedding photographer. And I realized that was not my deal. And I, you know, found my focus. But in addition to that, um, I perform improv. And I'm studying with the Second City right now. So I, uh, I do a lot of stuff, yeah. basically. So, people who listen to this that we will see, the, the, the label for the show will have the picture of the beer label. Um, can you tell us about the picture that, they're, that people see on the can? Yeah, so that photograph was found in Hollywood, uh, South Carolina. I always have to differentiate people. <laughs> people uh, think of something else. Yeah, they think it's like... <laughs> We have to make movies outside <laughs> of Adam's Run, I guess. But uh, it's in Hollywood, and I actually got that picture on the way back from my uncle's funeral. And I was driving home. We were getting going, you know, for the repast. Um, and um, I saw it out of the corner of my eye, and I just stopped. And I always have my camera with me. And I, uh, I made my sisters wait in the car while I walked through tall grass still dressed up from the funeral and took this picture because I was just like it's a dark green building right in front of like dark kudzu and grasses and things and it just it looked like something that was camouflaged to me and it just struck me so I stopped and got a couple of shots of it and then kept going but um, that area is just special to me because that's where my, my mom is from my mom grew up on Young's Island uh, so it's I, I love being able to kind of discover my family history in addition to things that are kind of gone in South Carolina. Wow. Um, Steve, I, so last time we had a graphic designer from Breland, uh, uh, who also lives in Florida. <laughs> 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 See, I sense a trend. <laughs> 
graphic designer do the label. Uh, you guys have, you guys use artists for your labels. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about like, um, first why you guys use artists, um, and and then I guess, I, I don't, I think I have not studied every beer you've ever made, but I usually, you usually at least don't use photographs. That is true. And um, so I guess sort of kind of talk about. personality in, in essence um, and what that also means is that it needs to be conveyed visually as much as it is to taste and smell and all those other things <coughs> um, at Frothy Beard I mean, we've maintained we've used a number of different artists our, our first uh, brand was made by a local artist here her name was Tammy Boyce or is Tammy Boyce um, still years here for some other things we also used Marcus Gribbs who is an excellent comic book um, illustrator um and I think every time what I, what's so shocking to me about choosing an artist to, to market or uh, market's kind of the wrong word because it's, it's really kind of creating, making the beer a whole, right? You can't just have, you can have a blonde, you can have an IPA, you can have those other things. Without the name and the fun story behind it or with it, you know, sometimes you can get kind of lost in the, the, the whole, or it doesn't mean anything, right? You got to make it special. Yeah. And so, or it um, doesn't stand out. It like doesn't stand out, right? looking at a shelf of IPAs and they all say IPA. Right. Then how do I know which one I want? I mean, and I'll be fair, I'll be honest, there are a lot of people, and I may or may not be guilty of this at times, who make purchase decisions based Absolutely. on label design. <laughs> that is 100% true. I mean, if Barefoot Wine were to up their label game, I think their sales <laughs> might skyrocket. <laughs> I would completely agree with that. I mean, honestly, I, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you um, through experience with distribution and, and packaging and whatnot, I'll tell you that most of the time, the consumer's first choice in their mind is not necessarily beer, wine, or anything else. It's 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 what's on the can, really, um, <laughs> or or b bottle or yeah. what, whatever it may be. Um, it's a really fascinating process. But um, also that, and even though those things matter, I think what matters to the makers of it, you know, is is that it conveys the thing that invokes passion within their mi own minds, right? So like, what's in what the liquid conveys also needs to be conveyed on side of, of the bottle or, or can in this case and so I think that kind of creates this other thing so there's almost like this duality with beer like mm -hmm. there's an art form in almost everything that you do with inside of it so yeah kind of kind of not to <laughs> well Simone I'll let you chime I want you to chime in on this of like why do we Simone and I talked about artists for this can Simone and, uh, and I helped with the Simone helped me pick um, kind of frame out what we wanted uh, Simone can you talk a little bit about why and I thought Al's work might might be a great fit, not just for yeah. Frothy, but also for this moment, I think, as well in the art. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, your photography and the abandoned spaces, um, it just speaks to where the arts are at right now. You know, all the venues that are shuttered um, and all the artists that are out of work right now. Um, so, honestly, the, the um, photograph that we ended up going with um, that you took it's haunting um, so I think that was um, a big
big part of why we thought it spoke to you know the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, yeah with with COVID, we've been this industry has been shut down since March, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it, Simone, I've got these talking points like ready to rail off because Simone and I are in like knee deep of like advocacy right now because the legislature's back, but like we've been shut down since March. We're the only group in South Carolina technically shuttered because of governor executive orders because our business model is conducive to the spread of a deadly virus. So the arts, yeah, we, you know, large audiences and confined spaces. I talked to a theater in in Pelzer who was like, my number one job is to put old people inside of an enclosed space for three hours and make them laugh. Like, (laughs) I'm not a great place right now for people to be, my Mm -hmm. audience to be. Um, So there's a responsibility that the arts have had in this, too. Like, we we know our role, and we've tried to pivot. A lot of us have tried to pivot um, and done pretty well in doing so, whether it's just delivering content or maybe hopefully coming up with some new revenue model. But at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. we're the only industry whose business model is severely impacted by COVID by government mandate and by general business operations. It's hard for us. We can't, much like restaurants, and I I think restaurants are probably the closest and and hotels. I mean, you guys seem to kind of have a restaurant pretty much. Mm -hmm. You have an indoor venue um, that, you know, 50% occupancy kills you or can kill you. 25% can kill you. But the arts, you can't really monetize takeout theater. Sure. You know, like that's not a something you can monetize very quickly at least so point b that plus uh the lack of availability of a vaccine to the general public which tends to be the number one thing to get audiences back in based on surveys mm-hmm. and just spikes i mean just the general public health aspect of COVID. i mean we've been shut down since march and um it's my fear is that there are organizations who may whose buildings may end up looking like the pictures you take out, mm-hmm. yeah. and that the emptiness of of a venue is of a space in general that you photograph is powerful. Because when I drive, I I love your work because all I I just never stop to take the picture. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I drive by it and I notice it. In fact, driving down here today, there's always this random place somewhere after Orangeburg that has. Every time I drive by, the building just gets worse and worse, and there's like cars in front of it. And you know, it's just, I notice those spaces a lot, and uh, and I, I always wonder what the story was, yeah. what happened, why is it there, and and I am pontificating now. I realize by exit, but like <laughs> my my fear with COVID is that there will be more places like this that used to be arts venues, right. um, or at the very least, for the last t- ten months at this point, they have been that. Yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, relative to the the piece, you know, the arts community has had to kind of go more internal, you know, waiting for things to come back. I mean, of course, being someone who is a photographer and on stage every week, you know, we we, we aren't out there anymore. You're in the house, you know, imp- imp- improv theaters are doing Zoom shows. That's just a thing that we do now. And you'd never know, like, your apartment becomes your improv theater because you're inside and you're continuing to do the work. Um, so I think that 
And a lot of times, things will look abandoned, but you just don't know what's still possible inside that you don't, you aren't able to see. Yeah. yeah. Steve, has this, like, talk a little bit about the COVID impact, I guess, on your, on your industry, or at least, at least frothing. Um, I'll just stop there, because I've got a follow-up question. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, um, honestly, with, much like theater, or much like the arts, I suppose, um, beer and brewery life is very much about lots of people in small confined yeah. spaces. Yeah. Um, when we talk about beer life in general, which is very prominent here in South Carolina, what I'm specifically speaking about is when, you know, let's go to this brewery, let's go over here, let's go to some good dinner, then let's go to this other brewery, right? Like there's this definitely a culture that's around restauranteering and, and bar hopping. Um, so it's, it's definitely been a hurdle. Um, our number one priority, I think, is to maintain the safety of the general public <laughs> as best we can, uh, while also to being able to keep our doors open. So um, that's kind of why we're, where we've been blessed by having the ability to remain open within the safe confines of what's reasonable and what's not. Um, and uh, that's always been a number one thing, safety. We, we have a community, we have a culture here that we're trying to foster, and we've always been trying to be very protective of. It makes no sense for us to all of a sudden just go willy-nilly, you know, and, and everybody gets sick, and we could be horrible. Um, that being said, uh, we know we're doing it. You know, it's, it's been peaks and valleys, you know, but, um, you know, just trying, trying to make it happen, I suppose. Um, During COVID, I can certainly tell you, like, so typically we do a lot of crazy events. So we have done professional wrestling in the back of the brew house. We have done <laughs> axe throwing. We do, we've done... Um, you got the on the 31st. I thought that's crazy, but... Yeah, well, and that's, a, that actually might, uh, coming up, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, that actually might be postponed because of rain or and some other things. We're, we're, we've thought of ways yeah, trying yeah, to do yeah. it. To, to answer your question, like, all the things, spaces in which we've tried to be creative in the past and doing things that are very frothy, for lack of a better term. Um, now we have to think of it, how to do it socially responsibly, right? Like, um, so, which is just about everything. <laughs> uh, we reduced the table sizes out front, you know, now we, we can't have people sitting around waiting for beer, you know, you gotta be seated, you know, it's all other fun stuff. Um, to answer your question, you just try to think of, if this was our space, you know, this table that all four of us are sitting at right now, if you had to entertain somebody else right now, how would you do it? And that's basically what you start off with, right? So mm -hmm. trivia is still great. Bingo's awesome. Uh, you can make that all, you know, no one has to get up. No Pots. one has to touch anything, right? Like um, art, right? So we have, we did an alcohol-based art group, which is like an art alcohol paint. Uh, not, yeah, not, not, imbibing was involved. <laughs> but but, but the, the paint itself was, was, yeah. was alcohol-based yeah. or something. And... Uh, then we do uh, this thing on Monday nights with Art with Andre, which, once again, these are all things that people can do at their own little tables. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, we, we try to localize, of course, within the, whole, in the entire group in specific areas, but you're absolutely right. It's changed how we do events, when we do events, um, and, and all that stuff, yeah, dramatically. Yeah. How has, how are they putting on your, so the, your improv troupe is Alchemy Comedy, just mm -hmm. put a plug in, because 
Well, we're not going anywhere. Yeah, so you so, go. <laughs> uh, but for both of you, I'll start with Al. You have venue-based ex- uh, things you're involved in, either you own or well, you're kind of managing. You're mm-hmm. yeah, leading um, Alchemy. So how has I find this interesting because aside from being Yeah, I mean, for us, I mean, it's just like you said. I mean, our business is putting people in a literal basement very tiny space. <laughs> and having them laugh very loudly. I mean, our, our theater holds like 75 people, so imagine all that laughter. <laughs> Plus, you know, you have six to ten performers on stage. And so in the beginning, we thought, okay, well, we'll cut capacity and then we'll have everyone masked. But the people on stage, they can't be masked because they're... We're running around, and you need all the, <laughs> you need all the air you can get. So I don't know, it was it was the thing about the I guess the improv community as a whole is we had to really learn how to uh, I guess get to get to get technical. We had to learn how to yes and this whole situation. Yeah. We had to say like okay, no one's coming to see us, and our players aren't necessarily comfortable being on stage with a, with a theater full of strangers. So that's, you know, that's two things. And so I think when Zoom kind of came into play for everyone, we're like, well, everyone kind of knows how to use it. Uh, and it's very, it's relatively cheap to get like the professional account. Let's try doing that. Let's try doing shows and seeing if people would either paid to access it or just want us to, to watch it and um i think we did pretty well in the beginning but i think it was in the beginning where people were still oh this is going to change in a couple of months so this is just yeah. a temporary thing and the months just kept going and going and it's like well now i've been performing virtual improv for almost a year and so it's at the point where it's like when we go back to in person like how do we even do that you know, what is our what is our theater gonna look like? Are people gonna be comfortable going to to live theater any longer? And that affects our small company, which is like eighty people, and you know businesses like the the Peace Center and the Sotili uh, Theater and Theater Ninety Nine down here. They just started doing live uh, shows again, and so I think with the creative part process is we had to learn how to adapt really quickly to meet our audiences where they are. So I have a follow-up because this literally came up a conversation yesterday or Friday or something. Um, do you think your virtual delivery will be something you do in the future? S- slash, what is the role of it in the future, do you think, for Alchemy? Um, I'm not going to hold you to 
to it, but like right yeah. now in this moment, you just said like, will people pay for it? Will they not? Do we use it? How do we use this tool? Because I'm much more comfortable being. I mean, the, I'm with people for the first time in a pretty. You know, this is the. I mean, other than a couple meetings, this is like the longest social setting I've been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that. I think virtual improv is going to be something that's not necessarily how people see shows. Like, I honestly think that we'll go back to live performances soon or at some point. But it's opened up this whole new gate for specifically improvisers to be able to take workshops from people they would not have been able to afford to do, perform with people that they wouldn't have been able to perform with. You know, I did a show with uh, a guy in Chicago and there was, like, no way last year that that would have been possible yeah. without one of us traveling to where yeah. the other is. I mean, for Second City, you know, being in a Second City conservatory is a year of courses. And that means moving to Chicago <laughs> for a year. Yeah. And I wouldn't have been able to, yeah. to really make that happen. And so I think not so much on the level of this is how people are going to see us, but I think, like, this is going to be the way that people learn the art of improv yeah. and maybe even art classes as, yeah. as a whole, yeah. you know? Like, if there's an artist that I want to learn from in California, right. I can do that now. Yeah. And so I think that's I what think the, the role the, yeah. the rise of digital literacy is something that we can capitalize, but I'm kind of excited about how that lives. Uh, Steve, I guess kind of the same thing to you. Like, what that balance of, like, public health concerns, but also keeping a business running. I mean, you've got... Have a space. You have rent to pay. You have. I mean, you don't want beer sitting on the shelves either. So bills, bills, yeah, paychecks, yeah, paychecks. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think in the forefront of all of this, of course, is maintaining safety, but not only for your uh, consumer, but also for your employees. Um, first and foremost. Secondly, yeah, and the the next thought is, of course, how do we keep this place open? <laughs> yeah, with all the constraints, without trying to be as mindful as humanly possible, how, how do we just kind of ride this out in the sunset? And Al, you made a great point about how we just thought this was going to be a couple week thing. You know, like, oh, this will be a couple months, we'll be fine. You know, like, yeah. and I think when we first, uh, when we're going through it, we're just like, okay, so everybody just stays home. You know, we're skeleton crew and everything. You know, yada yada yada. Eight weeks counts, right? One more month, guys. It's it's One more month after that, right? And now here we are, twenty twenty one. Um, it's, it's difficult, um, for, I mean, will people, I guess, I guess if I'm asked, will people come back at some point? Yeah, I think the answer to that is yes. Will it be different? Yeah. I have to imagine that this isn't, this isn't going to stop everything, you know, I, I kind of see like this probably happening more again in the future to some certain extent. Um. What about your business model, Steve, do you think remains? Um, like, your COVID business model. Well. Or what's, well, okay, better question. Maybe a little bit less future thinking. What has worked well oh. during COVID that, what? therefore, kind of thinks you think it might be something different? Sure. I mean, aside from the general practice that you see in other businesses, like sanitizer everywhere and stuff like that, um, we're canning a ton more than we ever have canned before. Um, so... Uh, just everything, everything under the sun. It has created a shortage. There's actually a national can shortage as a result of everybody putting this stuff in the cans. It's actually really hard to get right now. Uh, 
nonetheless. You mean uh, to reuse the ones we have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you wouldn't mind, uh, there's actually a 15 cent deposit. Michigan is no longer the only state. Uh, we will take them back. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, that's certainly something that we've changed on, on our end. Um, I think brewing more exciting things that also go into cans, so beers that you normally typically wouldn't put into a can, maybe you'd put it in a bottle or maybe you just put it on draft. Um, those that have kind of changed because now you're just like, well, people really need to consume this wherever they are privately, you know, in a safe area. So like, if they're they're more comfortable with coming and buying a six pack or four pack or whatever, and then going home, well, then we need to make that possible. So that's typically that's the largest adjustment I would say to our model, aside from you know the less tables. And, you know, yeah, yeah. So do you think that like demand for some of the so last year's Creative Impact is very much a at home brew. It didn't go very far away from. Yeah, so I have a, just a small digital camera yeah. that I've had forever um, because cameras are expensive, first of all. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of half and half where I see things just out of the corner of my eye as I'm driving through the backcountry, and I'll get out and I'll, 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 I'll shoot it. Um, and then sometimes I, I do have to plan, so that's where uh, Google Maps comes in really helpful especially if you're looking for hidden things you know and you it's, it's crazy what you can find on google maps but there was a, a ghost town um that i found in the town of uh chapels and the ghost town is in the woods like you gotta like hike in there like a mile to, to find it and you can only find it by looking at google maps from above and seeing within the trees, like just maybe at top of a, a roof or something. So it's things like that that I know about that I plan ahead. But a lot of like the houses and, and little stops are, I'm really just driving around and seeing them. Um, probably the biggest project that I had that I pre-planned was the, um, the Lake Shawnee amusement park and it's in West Virginia. And one, I didn't realize that West Virginia was so close to us. It's only four hours away. Yeah. Right. So it was like, oh, yeah, let's go. So there's this old amusement park, and it's supposed to be one of the top ten haunted places in the, in the country. And I think it's, like, more top ten haunted amusement parks. But, you know, and I, I'd heard about it, and there's, you know, there's message boards and, re and Reddit, and, you know, um, Tumblr was a big thing at that point. Um, and so I knew about it, and so I knew to kind of like who to ask, who to contact, to see how I can get into this park because it's it's guarded, um, and uh, they only open it in Halloween uh, during the month of October. You pay twenty bucks, and you can't come until five p.m. And you can be you stay as long as you want, but you can't come until five. So you have since it's the winter, you get two hours of daylight shooting. And so you're getting in there and you are working and then it gets real creepy 
interview you want to go. But, you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but overall, you know, it just, it just half and half, like planning and then, you know, most of it's just spontaneous. Do you have a favorite shoot that you've done? Uh, the amusement park is probably one of my favorites. And I got a house in Adams Run. It's across the street from my great aunt's house. And it had been abandoned, like, my whole childhood. Like, no one had lived there. And I showed the picture to my mom, and she knew who lived there. And she's like, well, just one day they were just gone. And it just stood there. And it was just covered with kudzu and and all that stuff. So it's really cool to be able to have somebody that I know and related to that can tell me a little more story about about what I what I find and, and really kind of humanize the people that used to inhabit those spaces. Yeah. So that's a big one. There's a, uh, and I could talk about this for hours, but there's a silk factory in Maryland that was shuttered for 60 years. And I was part of a group that got to go in shortly after they reopened it. And basically, the employees decided to go on strike on like a Friday afternoon. They all went home for the weekend. And when they came back on Monday, it had been shuttered. And so everything inside had had sat there. There was like newspapers about John Kennedy in there. There's like old shoes in there, you know. In the cubby holes, you know, you can see, like, people had, like, oh, I'm just going to leave my jacket here, and I'll get it next week. And they never saw the jacket again. And so you get to see, like, really just cool little little kind of snapshots of what life used to be. Especially when we were, like, you know, making things. When, you know, upstate of South Carolina was a center of industry, like, what did that look like for us? So. It's the people. I mean, I would say the people and the architecture. Because you you go into an old mill, and I'll say like Courtney Mill in Newry, this is near Clemson. Um, you go in there, and these are industrial buildings, but they're so beautiful inside because people, when they were building industrial buildings, they were like, oh no, we're still gonna put some crown molding there, and it's still gonna be like have like really cool brick patterns and and such. And, you know, you now you go to like a distribution center, and it, you know it just look, looks like an office park. Right. But you know, yeah, school storage room days. Yeah, you don't, you don't have that. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have like you know hundred year old wood planks or anything. Like it's just right. you know efficiency. Yeah. But I guess efficiency in the eighteen hundreds was like we're gonna make this pretty <laughs> if we're gonna have to be in here twenty four hours a day. For an inhumane number of hours. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If we're go- yeah, if we're gonna employ children, you know, which you know, in, in textile mills they did because yeah, it's, yeah. The, the kids had smaller hands. Right. So it's like you go in there and you recognize like, okay, this building is the beautiful. OSHA violations. The OSHA violations are why we have OSHA by uh, you know, requirements at all, and why we have child labor laws is because of these companies that just kind of disappeared over the years. So instead so. of portraits of people, you're doing. Yeah, yeah, what they left behind, what was important to them, you know, what was, you know, what were their surroundings like, and, and what their life was like. You know, in the town of Newry, I mean, I think maybe like 20 people live there now, but it was a small town that surrounded this mill, and in the mill left, the town 
basically just died. And so it's interesting to see how a central kind of hub of living can affect your experience as a South Carolinian, at least, you know. There's an interesting study for you to do now one day, maybe, um, of uh, the correlation between the abandoned building, the key shoot, or abandoned building that you want to shoot, and the air property issues in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's probably a podcast for a whole other, the whole other thing. But the intersection of these abandoned spaces that are beautiful in their Right. And yeah. therefore, we have places like, I mean, that's Barnwell and Bamberg County mm-hmm. are, in Jasper County, have so many properties around their core of their town that they can't figure out who should own them because the deeds don't allow or the, I mean, I think we've, the legislature's looking to fix Anyway, that's a topic for a whole other yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. But, like, has that ever hit you of, like, mm-hmm. I guess, of who, not just, obviously, the, the, what's their name and what did they do, right. but also, like, why did they leave and why is this still vacant? Yeah, I mean, learning about the mills and the textile industry and the, and the upstate area is, you know, every mill had its own, like, little village around it. Mm-hmm. And the mill usually owned the houses that the people lived in. And so when the mills shut down, those, you know, the men that owned it, they were millionaires. So they could just pick up and go and open another business down, down the road they left those people there in houses that they, they didn't own and so they were either stuck and had to move to a, a, a smaller home or a whole, another home they didn't earn but you know that generation that generational wealth was stopped at that point and you know if, if I think that if factory workers and particularly black factory workers were allowed to own those homes, well, I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, I wouldn't be able to find as many abandoned houses, basically. Because a lot, a, a lot of times, the rule of the law was you'd rather see it fall empty. apart yeah. than give it to you. I'd rather the house next to me be empty than have someone I don't want to live there and then right. basically tell me they're stealing. Right. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, anyway, it's a sad, sad yeah, and it's, South Carolina. and it's important to, it's, you know, yeah. think about, you know, yeah. and even the architectural styles reflect the, the mills that you were in. I mean, you, you know, there are certain mills, all of their mill houses have one type of roof, and that's how you can tell what roof, what mill they worked at. Oh, yeah. You know, it's all very organized, but... Also, all the bathrooms are on the back, because yeah. in the 30s they decided indoor plumbing should be positive, was this positive thing. Mm-hmm. I used to own a mill house. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all of the bathrooms for my first house I bought. Ever yeah. Lived in, was a mill house. That's why wow. all of them are the same because they just added the bathrooms on right. after about 1934 or something. Wow. Yeah. 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 Um, so, Steve, kind of like final thoughts on, um, well, I don't know, do you have anything else to say? Um, or any, any, I guess, response? Um, no, I mean, I, my, my heart definitely goes out all the people that are involved in all of this stuff which is basically everybody you know, like, um, you know I don't I, I have a lot of very close friends of mine who work in Spoleto 
they're decimated. You know, like there's nobody has anything on the books even to 22, right? Like, and yeah. we're just this is a like a, a problem that you know was it foresee- foreseeable? Maybe, nah. Like th- not for this long. Not for this long, no. for sure. You know, like uh, yeah. I, I guess maybe the jury's out. Like I wish hindsight being 2020. You know, like. Which we need to change, by the way. Yeah. Like, we, need, we need to change the metric of perfect minutes. Yeah. Like, it needs to be 14, 14, which probably isn't a good year either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, I just hope we all have come out of this okay and we can make, yeah. you know, make the best of what we can, you know, with what we got. You know, and I, I definitely think things have changed. Things will keep continue to change as they will, but, you know, I just hope everyone can, you know, yeah. we're, all, we're all going <laughs> to always just need a little. Yeah, it's right. it going to be something else that we have to think about and put in the rule book. Right. You know, with the theater, we're like, well, no one told us how to run a theater in a pandemic. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no standards of practices for that. And yeah. so I think that we everyone has to throw the book out yeah. and restart it. And maybe when we restart it, it'll be more accessible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so... Oh, that, that yeah. is true. I, I just wanted to comment on that. Like, I do agree with that. Like, mm-hmm. I do think that, like, during the pandemic, people have actually reached out more to the arts, not less. Like, yeah. I think, like, I know more of my friends that have done, you know, painting now and, and uh, writing sure. and all sorts of high-focused, in, you know, independent things that I think, to your point, like, I think it could absolutely spark, like, a, a new Heck, I just had my three-month-old daughter draw her first drawing and frame that we printed, so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Simone, our graduate fellow, Arinthia Carter, photographer out of Greenville, and Steve McCauley, one of the founders of Frothy Beard. The beer, Creative Impact, is available only at Frothy uh, in Charleston and the brewery. So be sure to go check it out. You can pick up some cans, or I believe you can pick up a pint uh, and enjoy it. Um, We'll be back with more episodes of The Dive throughout this year. And until then, uh, stay creative, South Carolina.